and firestormfan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my irrational co-host, Rob Kelly from the Aquaman Shrine. <laughs> Good morning, Shag. Good morning, Rob. How are you, buddy? I'm, uh, I'm a little sleepy. It's, uh, as we were recording this, it's, uh, it's, in the, it's so early in the morning that it's still dark out. Um, <laughs> this is the only time Shag and I could get together to record the show, so... Uh, we hope you fans appreciate the dedication that we're showing. Well, we had to skip last week just because um, we just couldn't get the timing together. To right. get together. So we, we had a bye week, if you will, from football terminology. And um, we got some feedback on that. We got some people who are, I think they, <laughs> honestly, I think they got close to cutting and or jumping, you know. So we felt like we owed it to you guys. And, yeah, it is, um, it's, um, it's a dark 30. Yeah. Pretty much it's what time it is, folks. But. We're doing it. We're here. We're excited. Uh, we since uh, this was kind of a strange week, and I hope this doesn't continue. I haven't checked the schedules, but Aquaman and Firestorm came out on different weeks again. This yes, is the second time this has happened, and so we decided to hold off on covering Firestorm number zero, and we're going to tackle Firestorm number zero this week with Aquaman. No, Firestorm number I'm thirteen. Oh, sorry, thirteen. Uh, that's how early it is. That is how early it is. I can't even count. Now, uh, Firestorm 13 came out a different week from Aquaman 13. So we're going to cover them together in one episode. Right. These are both really important issues. Yes. Yes, they are. Um, <laughs> well, thank you, Robert. Well, I, I didn't know how to respond to your statement. It seemed self-evident. <laughs> one thing we should mention is uh, the rumors are true. Uh, Shag and I did sell the rights to the Fire and Water podcast to Disney for $4.5 billion, so yay for us. I know. It's awesome. You know, Disney has bought pretty much uh, everything that fascinated me as a child, you know, <laughs> truthfully. And think about it. They bought the Muppets. They bought Marvel Comics. And I shouldn't say as a child. I should say, you know, when I was younger. Everything that fascinated me when I was younger. 
They bought Muppets. They bought Marvel Comics. They've bought Star Wars. The only thing left is Phoebe Kate's breasts. I mean, pretty much they have everything else that fascinated me when I was younger. So it would be interesting if they just bought those. <laughs> I well, you know. Okay, oh. so let's just move on. Let's Aquaman number thirteen. Woo! Which is, okay, so yes. both these issues are huge, folks. You know, Aquaman number thirteen wraps up a saga. Yeah, Bart I was going to get to that. Well, I figured you were going to start talking about your little fish guy. So before you started doing that, I was going to give it a big picture. I'm setting the stage for our friends. It's like when they come into your house, you welcome them, you kind of give them a tour. You you were going to go right to the little fishy uh, appetizer. I could tell. You were going straight for the anchovies, weren't you? What the hell are you talking about now? <laughs> Aquaman ends a saga. Firestorm begins a new saga. So this is this is big time, guys. This is important stuff. Yes, we're gonna, as we're gonna we, say something. yes, as we covered earlier. Oh Lord. Okay. The others. Aquaman <laughs> number thirteen is the others' conclusion. Uh, I should mention on the cover, it's a great cover. It's got all the characters pretty much that we've seen to this point, including Salty the Aqua Dog. Very yes. proud of that. Very <laughs> happy with Ivan Reese to, to work in Salty the Aqua Dog. He's part of the team. I love it. All right, I have to say, since you already brought up Salty, uh, I'm very sorry. You might as well interrupt me. Just, uh, you know, I've, I've been no, talking for gotta... 30 seconds. Well, it just makes more sense for me to say it now, then, rather than later, because I was going to save it. The, the, the last panel of the book has the dog, and I seriously, I don't know, I convinced myself that Aquaman and Mera, the last panel is going to be them walking back to the, the, the lighthouse, and him just kind of saying over his shoulder, come on, Salty. <laughs> I convinced myself that was going to be the last panel, and I was actually surprised when it didn't happen. I'm like, huh? Really? So. Everyone on the shrine just calls him Salty at this point. I think yeah. just because in the absence of giving him a name, I think people have just said, okay, well, he's Salty then. <laughs> well, I really hope they either do call him Salty or just don't call him anything so we can continue to call him Salty. Cause yeah, Jeff, you hear that? Really? Come on, and, you know, Jeff's up early with us. He's yes. listening. Yes, I'm sure he he's on. He's on Skype. Um, so anyway, yeah, so Aquaman, the, the others, is the Aquaman number 13 is the others. Conclusion, it's by, of course, Jeff Johns, Ivan Reese, Joe Prado, uh, some ink assists by uh, Julio Ferreira, and, of course, the colors are by Rod Reese. And Aquaman, created by um, Martin Weisinger and Paul Norris, although you won't learn that from reading the book. Oh. Um, well, oh, did they take it out? Well, they always, they don't list Martin Weisinger, ever. Oh, more okay. I, never mind. I thought you meant the Paul Norris part. No, no, no. that's always in there. But the, Mort Weinzinger has been sort of retconned out of existence. Um, <laughs> anyway, number thirteen opens up six years ago at the conclusion of that fight that they had, Aquaman and the others had with Manta just after he gets away, and Aquaman is standing there in the snow, looking sad, and uh, he is comforted by Vostok, and uh, Vostok says. The people we rescued from the avalanche are safe. And Aquaman says, you, you were engineered to prefer a life of isolation, Vostok. Why do you care about villagers? And Vostok says, because I still have a heart. And, and then we flash forward to the present day. And he says, just like, you know, we hear him say, just like you do. And we see Vostok is laying there dead. Aquaman is more than a little upset about this. And he swears vengeance on Manta. He chases after... Manta by well, first of all, he he pummels through using just his his own hands. He pummels through this sort of like rock face that they're all trapped behind, which is really cool. We see him just smash through that. So a nice little example of Aquaman's strength. He sees Manta, but Manta has got the that uh, 
magical Atlantean orb thing, which makes him allows him to teleport away. So leaving Aquaman and the other sort of high and dry there. They get on uh, the uh, operatives flying jet headquarters thing. They find out, they, they learn there that they can trace Manta where he's going. Um, while they're on their way, Aquaman is... It's interesting, in the other's jet, Aquaman has a, a his costume in a, like a little <laughs> holding thing there. He knows right where the secret room is, too. Yeah, you see, he presses his little button and it opens up this thing. So he's obviously fairly comfortable with the operative's uh, jet there. I, I guess he hasn't upgraded jets in the last five years. I guess, yeah, I guess not. So, you know, our, we, we learn uh, via some dialogue in the operative. He says, Manta's father was wanted for numerous crimes, including murder, and he tried to kill you. That, I don't think we knew that before. Um that felt a little bit like backfilling, a little like, oh, he wasn't that bad that you killed the guy, because he was a bad guy, too. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> um, but Aquaman is sort of, you know, down on himself for saying that he hit all these things, and he's he's got a lot of blood on his hands, and he says, as he's staring at his, at his suit in the uh, little stasis thing, he says, Aquaman is nothing but a costume. And then Mira steps in, and she says, put it on anyway. And this is a great scene of the two of them. Um, she says, we've all made mistakes, but you've learned from them. You can't forget that. You can't let yourself fall back into anger, I, fall back into anger and isolation. Don't be like the rest of the world, Arthur. And then they embrace, and nice little panel there. And uh, then we cut to where Manta has shown up, and he's in the middle of the ocean, and he's waiting for his partner in this whole endeavor, who we still don't know yet. We still know who that is. And out of the water comes this giant ship, which looks like a sort of large crustacean type creature and we know he's Manta is talking to whoever this bad guy is, this bad partner is the partner sends out some of his henchmen with a bunch of loot to pay Manta for his uh, work just as Manta is about to hand off the scepter to uh, one of the henchmen, Aquaman comes in a giant full page shot It's one per issue, there's always one really amazing full-page shot of Aquaman bursting out of the water, grabbing the scepter out of Manta's hand, which is great. He's, like, yelling, Aquaman, and Aquaman's lunging into the camera with the scepter in his hand. Um, Manta just starts blasting away, as do as do uh, the henchmen. Um, one of the henchmen uses, like, a zipline thing and grabs the scepter out of Aquaman's hand, jumps back into the little crustacean ship and sinks back under the water, which leaves only Manta there. Um, Aquaman and the others attack. Manta fries prisoner of war pretty severely. <laughs> um, he's then about to, he digs his, um, he shoots a, um, one of his little harpoony things into prisoner's arm. And it looks like he's just about to kill prisoner of war when Aquaman comes up behind him and cracks open Manta's skull uh, with his trident. <laughs> it's a truly great shot. He Flings just, it. Yeah, he just, he just, no, he doesn't throw it. He, well, he said he, he flings it like he. It almost seems like he hits it and then flicks it because because the, the helmet goes flying. Yeah, that's yeah. He, I'm sure. Yeah, he st- he he jabs it with the trident and then flips it off Manta's head. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Like yeah, it would take a, a meatball off a fork and <laughs> zoom it across the room. <laughs> it's a great shot, and this is I don't maybe should wait till we do sort of the commentary at the end. But this is I saw all these pages in their black and white form at the New York Comic Con. Um, Rager. Huh? 
Bragger. Yeah, humble brag. Um, Joe Prado showed them to me himself. Yeah. Aww. And um, I mean, they looked awesome. I was like, oh, this is great. I kept, you know, he was they, they, he was showing me the pages for this book in between pictures of his dogs. So uh, I, was, <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, this looks great. But then to see it in color just to, you know underscores how much Rod Reese as the colorist brings to the book. So anyway, he flips Manta's helmet off. Um, Aquaman grabs Manta's arm and breaks it. Um, <laughs> we see him plug about it. He goes, snap, and Manta's like, oh, and he throws Manta down. He's just about to kill Manta. He's standing there over him with his trident, and Manta basically begs for her. He says, you know, go ahead, kill me, end this. And um, he's, like, he looks pretty crazed. His eyes are all bloodshot, and he's got blood shooting out of his mouth, and he's begging Aquaman to kill him, but Aquaman does not. He says, one day, probably, but not like this. Basically, Aquaman refuses to be a cold-blooded murderer, even though, of course, he killed other people earlier in the series. Morning, so he's, he's had a change of heart. He's had a change of heart. So morning comes, and the police are taking Manta away, which is sort of interesting. Um, <laughs> I don't know how they're going to be able to contain him, necessarily, but... Um, Holding so. The, well... Still, he's a supervillain. Um, the operative says that he's going to take care of the relics, the Atlantic relics that they have, and he's going to do it with the help of Yuwara. He says, you're going to help me. So, good idea, operative. I, I keep Yuwara close to me as well, if I could. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, the prisoner of war is sort of sad because he's ready to go. He's going to go back to his sort of lonely existence. But Aquaman... I, what does he do at the hospital that's so... I should all hold on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. He says. I guess he's just a, a patient there. I think he just, he just seems so depressed about it. Like I'll go back to the hospital. Yeah. Like, it's the worst thing ever. Like well, what is I think he, he's. Is I think he's janitor or something. No, I think he's. I think he's a. I think he's a patient. I think he's like he stays there. I think it's almost like a. I think when they say hospital, they almost mean like a halfway home type thing. I think he's just uh, somebody who's just depressed and is just sort of sitting around doing nothing. But anyway, Aquaman says you need to make a change, like I did. You were haunted by the spirits of the men who died around you. You were drawn to their families. And Prisoner War says, families that are mine. And Aquaman says, they still need peace. So then we cut to a scene in Iowa. Prisoner War shows up at the doorstep of a wife, uh, of uh, the wife of one of the men who has died. He introduces himself. We see that he is not horribly scarred or anything like that, which is something I think you called in a previous episode. You were suggesting that he really isn't you know, like scarred or anything like that, like Dr. Doom. Um, yeah. And we see that he shows, uh, using his powers, he shows the wife sort of ghostly image of her late husband and the son. There's a young boy there of, of his late father, and they are comforted by that by by knowing they could sort of communicate with, with their departed loved one. And then the last page is on Amnesty Bay, and there's Aquaman and Mira and Salty. And... Uh, <laughs> That, this, this is it. This is where I expected it. Exactly. Um, Aquaman and Mira have a nice sort of reconcile of talking about accepting one another. And Mira says, I'll never leave you, Arthur, never. And then the very last panel is someone watching them through some sort of Atlantean sort of thing, I'm guessing. And it says, Mira will stand in our way. Then we move her out of it. Praise the king. Yes, praise the king. Next, prologue to Throne of Atlantis. I have a question about that dialogue. Did the... Did the uh, the trench? Did they have a special kind of dialogue, or what do you mean? Well, like, did when they spoke, did they have certain word balloons or anything? Because I just kind of, when I was looking at this, I'm like, okay, maybe because the way the shot is lined up, I thought maybe these were trench talking. 
I don't think so. No. I, I, they did talk in a certain kind of patois, but I don't... Um, they didn't talk like... I don't think they talked as sophisticated as that. This is this is here, like, at least in complete sentences and stuff. The, the okay. trench were more just like... Kind of, kind of okay. thing. Plus, when they spoke, um, they were given, like, kind of greenish tint balloons. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Okay. So, um, now here, this is just... Yeah, not the trench talking or whatever, so. Okay. Um, so anyway, so that's the end of the others. Uh, I, you know, like I have all the other other ones, I really enjoyed it. It it, it left me sad knowing that this is the final issue with um, Ivan Reese and Joe Prado, but, you know. Uh, that was my question. Is this their last issue? Yes, it is. Okay. There's going right. to be a fill-in, like, I think Pete Woods, the next one, and then maybe even 14 and 15, and then the new art team is as... I don't think we've mentioned because I don't think it was announced since we did the last show. Um, Paul Patelier, I don't know how you're sure you pronounce his name, and Art T. Bear is the new art team on Firestorm. Ooh. I know on Aquaman. Art T. Bear is uh, one of my favorites. Now, Paul, I always called him like Pelletier or whatever. Is, Pelletier. Didn't he used to do a bunch of Marvel comics? Like, yeah, he's like, a big Marvel guy. Um, like maybe in the 90s, like maybe even Guardians of the Galaxy yes, or something? Yes, he did. Like the Guardians okay. Of the Galaxy. It's an interesting choice because his his style is a lot cartoonier mm-hmm. than Prado and Reese. So, you know, on the one but, hand, I... But R.T. Bears is not. Well, so, I, I, I can't... I don't only know R.T. Bear from his inking, so I don't necessarily right. know... I can't... You know, I think he seems to adjust to whatever style he's drawn. We've seen the one image um, of the Paul Patelier... Whatever. Um, <laughs> has drawn of Aquaman bursting out of a cage. So, and it's a different look. It's definitely a different look, so... You know, it'll be interesting. One of the things I'm very happy about that we learned at the New York Comic Con, and we learned it from Rod himself, is that he's not leaving. Um, he's staying on the colors, which huh? I am really, really, really happy about. And we were like, um, it was me and Joe Slab, and we were like jumping up and down. We were so excited. And, and Rod is a very quiet, humble guy. And I think he was sort of like, oh, you know, yeah, it's not that big a deal, but I'm, I'm staying on. And we're like, what? That's awesome. What are you talking about? That's fantastic. So, um, he, he is moving on to Justice League, but he's dropping another one of his books so he can stay on Aquaman and do Justice League at the same time. Oh, okay. So we're very, I'm very, very, very happy about that because he is, to me, he is an equal third of the art team. So it, to me, it's a big, big deal that he is, that he's staying on. I'm very, very happy that he is. But I, you know, I really enjoyed this issue. I was glad that they didn't kill Manta off. Um, I'm glad they didn't kill any more of the others. Uh, <laughs> And um, oh, and the other the other rumor that we heard when we were at the New York Comic Con again is that there might the DC is working on an others spinoff book. You allowed to say that? I just did. All right, there so, it is, folks. Um, and so because because Rod was talking about it and saying if if they do it and they are they already have a potential writer lined up, which I cannot say. Um, but if Rod was saying that if they do it, that'll mean Aquaman is in three books. Oh, well, would it be uh, a modern-day... I mean, do you, can you say anything? I mean, are they, conceptual, are they thinking of a modern-day others book? Or See, there wasn't much ago? more to it we heard than that, but it would be that Aquaman would be in it in some capacity. So you <laughs> you would have Aquaman in three books, which means this is truly the new golden age of the Seeking. That All right. It would be in three different titles. I, I would... If I was in charge of it, I would probably only put him in, like, the first story arc. Just simply because one of the benefits of doing a team of characters that don't appear anywhere else is anything could happen to them. 
Right. Well, you want them to stand on their own, too. And, you know, exactly. Yeah. You know, you don't want it to be, you know, Aquaman and the Ravers. Uh, I mean, others. Um, well, but even if even if he's not in it very much, it's still an Aquaman spinoff book, which would just be I mean, just just those words have never been said before. Aquaman spinoff book. Well, um, Tempest. Yeah. I guess so. That was a miniseries, but anyway, um, <laughs> just go with it for God's sake. I'm excited. Argue, argue I'm just I'm I'm arguing with you because I like to. <laughs> it's still early. <laughs> yeah, it is still very early. So uh, so yeah. So it was it, it was great. It was um, you know um, apparently I think this issue number three or. No, number zero. Aquaman number zero was the third highest selling comic book of the month. Wow. Or something like that. Like it was, it was DC's third highest selling book and that, that, and it sold more than any Marvel book or something like that. So, you know, they're, they're, they're humming along and the book has not lost any of its readers. In fact, it's gained some uh, over time. So uh, you know, they are, and, and Jeff Johns is staying as well. That was the other rumor that Jeff Johns is leaving. He's not. So of the, the four sort of core guys of the Aquaman team, Johns and Rod Reese are staying. So, you know, we're, uh, it'd be interesting to see this. Uh, I'm, I'm eager to see this new phase of, of uh, Aquaman's uh, history with the new artist. But, but man, these guys, Prado and Reese and, and Reese, uh, these guys did such an amazing job. And, and um, it's, you know, it's just fantastic. The, the, this, this, this run, this first... This first year of Aquaman to me is, is going to go down as you know one of the great Aquaman runs of all time. Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I'm, I'm sad to see the guys go, but I'm so thrilled for him with Justice League. Yeah. And Paul is a very good artist. I enjoyed his stuff. Like you said, it's more cartoony, but you know, we'll have to see. I mean, last time I really noticed, I was reading a, a Paul. I'm going to just keep calling him Pelletier for now. Yeah, that's easier. Yeah. Um, Last time I was aware I was reading one of his comics was probably 20 years ago. So I got to assume his style has changed some. You know? I didn't realize he'd been around that long. Well, Guardians of the Galaxy was back when I was working at a comic book shop. Oh, okay. Well, but I thought yeah. maybe they did a more recent series or something like that. No, no. I mean, this is, yeah, he's a great artist. He's been around a long time. Okay. Um, so, but, you know, if, if you look at it from a pure business perspective, you know, like you said, John's is staying in the book. And while the guys are amazing artists, and Justice League honestly is is lucky to get them, there's probably more of a cult following, meaning people following around Jeff Johns. Oh, sure. So by Jeff staying on the book and not leaving, I don't think you're going to get as a huge wave of ship jumpers. You yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's huge news that Johns is staying. That's, yeah. that's huge. So, and especially because I'm glad he is, because I want to read what's going to happen here with Orm and you know uh, Atlantis and all this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so they really he they have brought Aquaman back in a way that I didn't think was even possible, let alone likely. You know, like I was just happy that uh, he's you know he was such a prominent part of the New Fifty Two, and I would argue that this is in terms of bringing a character back to prominence. Aquaman is DC's most successful New Fifty Two book. I, I would say, in terms of from where he was pre-New 52 to this, I would say he really is, like, their number one success out of out of this whole line-wide reboot. Well, the only way, the only... Okay, there's an argument to be made for it, but I would say not necessarily because Brightest Day put him so far in prominence already. However, if you look at how Firestorm and Hawkman and Martian Manhunter have fared See? coming out of Brightest Day... There you go. There's the other, you know, I mean, you could say no, but then you say, well, the other guys didn't do too good. Um, 
I want to dig in and, and I got a commentary on some of the on, on some of the issue real quick before we because we're doing kind of big picture. Yes. I want to say something. Um, there's something that's not sitting with me right about the cover, specifically Mara's Mara's look. I can't place it. It's almost like she. I don't know, maybe her face looks a little too pinched or something? Mm-hmm. You see, am I, is it just me? Uh, I think it's just you. Okay. I mean, she's beautiful, and it's a great cover, and it's a great composition, and it's a wonderful sort of wrapping everything up because, you know, you get almost everything in one cover there, you know. Um, I thought I saw Trench in here the first time I looked at this cover, but I must have imagined. I am apparently just imagining Trench everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's Trench right there in uh, Black Man's Eyes. That's, yeah, oh, that's right. They're there. Okay. Whew, I'm not completely crazy. Um, but this is a great sort of wrapping up the year cover. But I just, something felt off about Mara, but I don't know, maybe it's just me. Um, really impressive. Now, the first page with Vostog, um, I realize they're trying to make us desperately care about the character. Just still not working. But I did find it interesting. He, he, had, he has a face shield. Yes. Yeah, which you can flip up. Which... Is not just clear. It's it has a molded face on it because the the face shield has no mustache. Yeah, that's right. So, like, I I just kind of assumed it was clear all this time, but it's not. So that's interesting. It's sort of like you know an old ancient you know uh, Roman mask kind of thing. So I, f- I personally found that interesting. He, he needed to update it. He needed to get a new one with the mustache indicated. Right. <laughs> Um, let's see. Um, you know, I remember during our last episode, you made kind of a big point of Aquaman. Like you felt like the, 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 the cliffhanger in issue 12, where he said, I'm going to kill Manta. And then you said, you know, if he doesn't, it sort of puts him on a, you know, an awkward sort of, yeah, it kind of boxed him in a little. Cause it's like, well, either yeah. he does and he's a murderer or he doesn't. And then it's like, well, geez, Aquaman's pronouncements don't mean a whole lot. And, I did feel a little bit of that, is that he had that moment, and then he doesn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mara talks him out of it, is yeah. what basically happens. But um, it is kind of strange that the operative has two different Aquaman costumes in the display case. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna guess that the, um, the, the whole costume hanging in the stasis case comes from the Dark Knight Returns. I think Frank Miller was the first guy ever to do that. And yeah, it's like everybody has taken that since then. <laughs> I mean, in the background here, you even see, like, a Vostok's, Vostok's, no, astronaut suit. It's it's not like his costume in there. It's just an astronaut suit in there. So these are clearly display cases. And Aquaman's also has, like, a badass helmet in there. It looks like almost like an Atlantean trophy helmet. And this is going to make an awesome playset. Right? Right. Well, after the movie comes out. Yeah, that's right. And the the other's movie. Yeah, that's right. Um, Okay, this is kind of random, but I just picked up the Nightwing trade paperback. Mm-hmm. Um, covers issues one through six, which, by the way, is very good. Um, Kyle Higgins is a great writer. And Eddie Barrows, who, no offense, Paul, should be taking over Aquaman. Um, well, I met him at the New York Comic Con. Did you really? I did. So did you look at some of his pages? Do you see what Frank and I are talking he about? Was, no, he was over by the, the, the boys' table, so I, he was talking to them and um, it was great they introduced me as the guy from Malcolm and Shrine, and Eddie Aww. knew what that was. <laughs> so. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. We, I, again, no offense to Paul, but I mean, Eddie Barrow should be drawing Aquaman after the guys leave. But He's, he's doing the Aquaman covers, I think, for, for number oh. 15, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, Disney. Uh, Disney. Wow. <laughs> Dis- 
Disney hasn't bought Warner Brothers yet, but um, <laughs> DC by the end of the show they won't. Right, yeah, DC clearly listened to Frank and I, and um, there we go. So, but um, Eddie Barrows drew a character in the Nightwing first few issues whose face mask looks astonishingly like the operatives. Hmm. Okay. In fact, at first I thought, like, was this planned almost? But the the face mask for the villain in there looks a lot like the operative's face mask. So uh, that's, that threw me the whole time I was reading it. But um, So, all right. Bet time. Who, who, who's in the ship? Who's in the crab ship? Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, it's probably not Ocean Master at this point because I think um, – well, let's be dis- let's be distinct because Ocean Master doesn't necessarily have to be Orm now. Well, that's true. Okay, it's not Orm. Let's okay. I don't think it's Orm. But Aquaman even says at one point he's yelling at the ship and he's like, "Who's in there?" And he's like, "Orm, if it's you, come out and talk." And so I, I don't. But, but I, you know, I don't know. I, it, it might be. I mean, that might just be that you know Aquaman suspects an Orm, and it is. Orm. It depends how much of a. I mean, obviously, Johns is trying to make keep it as much of a mystery as possible. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're trying to throw everybody off. Everybody might think, oh, it is Orm, and then it might truly just be Orm. So I don't know. Um, they've, they have introduced the scavenger in, in mm-hmm. the new 52 world, so it could be him. Or it could be you know, some other new villain that we don't even know about. So, but I, I guess odds are would be it's either scavenger or, or Orm at this point. I think it's safe to say that it's Ocean Master. Okay. Whoever Ocean Master will be. Because that trident is clearly Ocean Master's trident. I mean, if you look at it, it's if and you look at pre uh, New Fifty Two Ocean Master, that looks just like his trident. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 big circular sort of shape, and you know, and almost he's in the next issue. That's true. So you know, maybe Ocean Master is not Orm. I don't know, and, and I don't remember what the solicitations say. Maybe I'm going down a path that's not there. It just seems like there's a lot of effort made to make you wonder who's in the ship. And it may not necessarily be Orm. Like, you know, it's almost assumed it's Orm. Because he even says, like you said, Orm, if it's you, come out and talk. And the response is not under these circumstances. So it's almost as if he's saying, yes, I am Orm. But if so, why wouldn't they show him? Unless he's horribly scarred or or maybe maybe there's a sister or something. And Ocean Master is going to be a woman or, I don't know. Because Johns likes to throw curveballs, you know, in stuff. So, I don't know. It, it was just interesting that they made such a big deal about not showing us whoever's after the scepter. Right. You don't think, another little detail on that, you look on that same page, at the very top of the panel where Aquaman is sort of posing with the scepter. Yeah. You see the operative and Yawara and Prisoner of War, and they're on like little skis. Jet skis! Yeah. So, once again, that is going to make an awesome playset. You're going to have all sorts of accessories you can buy. Well, it just reminds me of, uh, you know, Aquaman's old... Uh, uh, Wave Runner. Yeah, that he had on Super Friends, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, they used to put him on in, in the stock art. He'd be, zzz, you know. So that, that's what they're borrowing, you know. Um, I love that. I just, I, I was going to bring that up next, actually. I love that so much. Um, there, there's one part that actually made me laugh, and I got pissy with myself. Or not, I just, I made snarky remarks as I was reading it. You know, the rain's coming down horribly. They, they've done whatever, um, raise the storm levels, which is interesting. So I guess they can control the weather. And, uh, prisoner of war goes, guys, guys, where are you? I can't see the rain is getting, and then he gets zapped. And I'm like, this is my snarky remark when the comic was, it's because you're looking through a burlap sack. 
take off the hood, dumbass, and you'll be able to see better. <laughs> but, you know, I hate to talk ill of... Preserve the, War, your favorite character. The, the yeah. character find of 2012. That's right. So. <laughs> or did he premiere in 11? I don't know. The story's been going so long, I've lost track. No, it's 2011. It was 2011. No, no, 2000, 2012, I meant. I meant okay, all right. Yeah. Um, he was, I thought it was pretty cool that, um, you know, as the star of the book started to bring his gauntlets together... To create that shield. I heard, I, heard uh, I, I noticed that, what you just said. Yeah, good. He starts to bring his gauntlets together to create that sort of force shield he can make. Uh, Black Mana shoots him through the freaking arm with an arrow, which is yes. pretty cool. It's like, ah! Because, you know, once that ship goes down, you're kind of like, oh, well, it's over. I'm like, no, it's not. You know, Black Mana, as you talked about, the flipping in the helmet and the scarring on the face. Um, and he got the scarring in the face in, like, number zero, right? The flashback, is that how you got uh, it? I forget. I forget what issue it happened. I think so. But we saw it happen, right? Well, did we? I think we did. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. We did. We did. I don't know. If okay. I think it was numbers. I think it was the one before that. I think it was. Okay. But we had a whole bunch of speculation previously about it. You know, like when when they first showed his face and like the first time he showed up, we speculated forever about how he got the scars. So. Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, great climactic fight. Um, the the I mean. Was it a little too on the nose when he yelled Ahab and the monster? Or was it needed? Could be a little bit, but, you know, it didn't bother me. You know, I don't know. Yeah, probably. It's a little too much making subtext text, but, uh, but, but you know. I, I Again, I thought it was maybe um, carried by the power of the artwork because the shots, the, that, that shot. Oh, of, ah, he's just crazy. He, well, he reminded me a lot of Darth Vader with, with the helmet off. You know, hmm. I had that kind of look to it, and uh, yeah, he just looks—he just looks like a crazy person. So yeah, I thought it was—you know—these guys. Uh, I'm gonna miss these guys. <laughs> I know. See, I didn't see it as Vader. I saw it more as um, oh, and the references disappeared on me. Oh well, but uh, just the absolute crazed, over the edge, lost all touch with reality, kind of insanity. And um, it's just very, very powerful. I like how the blood's actually dripping into his teeth. That's a rod thing there, though. Mm-hmm. Blood dripping into his teeth and just oof, so good. So, um, so I, I like the wrapping up scene of Prisoner of War. I didn't realize that people could see his manifested ghosts. It, they don't exactly say that, but you get the sense that they can feel it or something because the the the, the woman there looks like she's gasping. Yeah, well, so both both the kid and the wife, right? So, you know, they immediately recognize him for who he is. Right. So you, maybe you get the sense that they could sort of see their loved one through him or something like that. You, you, I mean, uh, you, you know, he's sort of – you don't know whether they see it like on his face or it's like a, it's like a ghostly image behind him. I mean, you can see what – how they're representing it in the book. We just don't know exactly how they're seeing it. But, yeah, they can obviously sort of sense their, their loved one through him. Now here's what I wonder. Um, when he hugs the wife and the son – the the energy that represented you know Paul the dad the ghost almost looks like it dispels. Mm-hmm. So has that soul been put to rest? That's that's is, my sense of it. Yeah. Has he lost that ability? Because each because each character gives him a certain you know strength and ability whatever his whatever his you know position was like the medic gives a medic you know like if he doesn't if he if if he helps the medic rest in peace is. He, lose that ability kind of thing that's interesting i don't know i didn't think yeah. about that i guess i mean we'll i doubt out. he does i doubt he does but we'll find out in the uh, others series 
Yeah. <laughs> and again, seriously, I really thought in that second to last panel where Aquaman and Mera are just smooching, smooching, that I really thought it'd be, come on, Salty. And I was, I was literally stunned it didn't happen. I think maybe we can just will it into existence. Eventually that Johns will forget that he did not name the dog yet, and he'll just type that. He'll just like, oh, Salty, and they just forget that he, didn't, that he didn't come up with the name. Wait, hold on. Let me get my pen. All right, here we go. I'm writing it in the comic now. There it is. Okay. We're good. Good issue. Absolutely. Wonderful conclusion to a, a great series so far and um, a great final issue by the guys. You know, these, these, mm-hmm. these are my favorite guys in the world. And, you know, we've gone – I've talked about them ad nauseum on the site and on the show. And then before we sign off t- t- today for this episode, we'll talk about one other reason why I love the guys so much. But we'll, we'll get to that uh, just before we uh, sign off. All right. Sounds good. Then I guess we're going right into Firestorm. Yeah. Um, like I said, guys, uh, we're not going to do any feedback this time. I can, I, can, I can hear Frank complaining about it right now, and Andy. Um, we are- yeah, well, hold on. To be fair, you know, the episode before the Dan Jurgens episode, we did a ton of feedback. We did. Yes. We did f- a ton of feedback on Who's Who, which is technically a separate show. But yes. So it's not like we've been neglecting feedback. So before they- we get... I'm not having to defend it to you. Yeah. I'm they, defending it to them. Yeah, they complain <laughs> a lot. They complain a lot. Um, <laughs> well, that's good. Berate the audience. That's I, nice. Yeah. Well, just that's what they do. But anyway, uh, so just so you know what we're going to do is we are going to do the next episode after this. We are going to do uh, – it's going to do – we're going to do some random topics. I want to talk a little bit more about the New York Comic Con, which we didn't – haven't gotten the cover yet. Um and we're going to talk a little about some, some other things. And we're going to do a big load of feedback. So that's going to be the next show. So we're not doing it this show. We're going to do it on the next show. So yeah, We kind of want to save it and cover it all in one big swoop. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we're going to, we're going to um, not do feedback. And we're going to skip right ahead here to Fury of Firestorm to Nuclear Man. Number Woo! Number 13. Yes, sir, we are. Again, the beginning of a new era right here, folks. Um Right in the cover, what is the secret behind Data Zen? You've got this enormous purple and green robot just lumbering and, and running towards Firestorm. Firestorm's blasting him. He's got very heroic pose for Firestorm. Um, covered by Dan Jurgens and Ray McCarthy. I'm sorry, this covers by Dan, uh, Norm Ratmund is the inker on this yes. one. And uh, really great dynamic cover. Um, it really is it's, it's a showcase piece, really, to, to show the new singular Firestorm. Now, uh, we've sort of been dealing with the Singular Firestorm for a while now. I mean, we, we had issue zero with the Singular Firestorm. We, you know, we, we knew something was going to happen when issue 12 ended. So it's, it's not like it's a new thing, but it really does feel like a new beginning, though. Dan Jurgens has written a story in such a way that it incorporates everything that's happened before and yet continues to move the story forward in a brand new direction. So um, very exciting. You know, if, if you haven't listened to it, um, last episode, I guess it was two episodes. No, what? yeah, last, but we did our interview with Dan Jurgens. Last, last episode. Yeah, uh, if you go back, yeah, last episode of Fire and Water podcast, we interviewed Dan Jurgens. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. It's an amazing interview. Dan kind of breaks down not so much what happens in this comic, but sort of his philosophy in tackling the Firestorm series, and uh, it's great stuff. So, all right, cracking open the book here. Um, the very first page I love especially because it doesn't start with Firestorm. It starts with Ronnie and Jason's parents. Um, the very first thing is the mother 
Ronnie's mother calling him, basically saying, where are you? You're screwing up your school, you know, your, your school work, which is a great sort of thing to do. It's, it's, it's a nice tease for what's coming. Also, there's certain things in here that it says a lot. Um, right behind her, do you, I don't, do you have the comic with you? I do. Okay. Right behind her is this giant banner that says, Go Vikings. And there's a lot of, believe it or not, there's a lot behind that banner. Uh, the very first issue had the same setup of the high school and the Vikings name of the team. So, again, Dan Jurgens could have, kind of, quite honestly, he could have kind of ignored a lot of stuff that had come before. But he took the time to put that in there that acknowledges the previous, you know, run in the series, carrying on the, the Walton Mills High School stuff. And at the same time, Dan happens to live in Minnesota, where the Minnesota Vikings are, so it's a little bit of a, a double meaning in that, so it cracks me up. So, uh, and, you know, just because the listeners are waiting for me to say it, and uh, they just know it's going to happen, so I'm just going to give them what they want, I will say it. Yes, Ronnie's mom is hot. So, uh, so you start with her on the cell phone, trying to call Ronnie. The, Jason's dad comes in, they have sort of a conversation about how it's kind of strange. It's kind of a nice story, Phil, too. It's telling you the boys now merge to form Firestorm. They work together. Uh, it's giving you a lot of information about the school right then and there. kind of tells you who Ronnie is. You know he's the quarterback. You know he's great. You know the school's not a strong subject. You know Jason's a book guy. It gives you a lot of information just in these two pages, which just is supposed to be a casual conversation between the two parents, but makes for good information. And then on the big splash page, you get a wonderful shot of the new Firestorm, in combat, having a blast. Uh, if you haven't read this comic, folks, it's fun. You really should just pick this up. Um, actually, you know what, Rob? Just overall, what, what, how did you feel about the issue? Uh, well, the first, the first thing... I, yeah. I should have asked earlier. Yes. Now, the, fir- the first thing um, that I was struck by is the artwork. Um, the uh, inker is Ray McCarthy, and he is a really nice match to me with Jurgens. Um, he kind of gives Jurgens' artwork a little bit of a, gri- a slightly grittier um, look to it, which I really liked. I thought this was a really handsome-looking book. I mean, as much as I loved um, Ilderay's work on the previous iteration of Firestorm, which I did, and another guy I got to say hi to at the New York Comic Con, um, I really do like the, the look here of Jurgens and Ray McCarthy. It's a really nice combination. Um do, do, I don't know if you want me to cover the entire book yet. Cause I don't want you to go panel by panel. I was just looking right. for your general impressions of the comic. Because, you know, you, you've said it before. You you weren't all that hot on the previous run of Firestorm. No. I, yeah, I just... I, I I did sort of like this better, and then it was just overall lighter. Just just less death, less... You know, just it just had more of a fun superhero tone. And um, I, that to me, that's kind of what Firestorm... You know, I'm, I'm not an expert on the character or anything, but to me that's a lot of Firestorm's appeal. Is that kind of, you know, sp- Spider-Man in the 70s-esque kind of uh, feel to it. And this had more of that. So I, uh, I I enjoyed it. You know, I was I was kind of glad to just to get it away from the, the, the unrelenting sort of death and violence. Not that there's not a lot of violence in this one. Um, but it's a little more of cartoony comic book violence as opposed to people's getting heads ripped off and things like that. Yeah, there's no punch to the gonads. Um, and for those of you, if this is your first episode, that um, I used to joke about that every issue of the old run of Firestorm pretty much always started with some something terrible, terrible, terrible happened to somebody. Yeah. And you don't get that this time. So. I will say I can relate to, to 
well, when, when you get to it, there's a specific sequence that I can relate to. So, but we'll, you'll get to that. Is it being bald, Jason's dad? Could you just move forward, please? Okay. All right. Um, so, I, one of the things that's fun in this is that this story is, is begins in you know it begins in Medias race. It's you know it's already in the action, Ooh, which look is at great. You breaking up the Latin. You like that? You like that? I had to listen to the pronunciation key because I always say it wrong. So, um, Firestorm is battling this enormous robot that we saw on the cover, who is called Data Zen, and they're battling on an Air Force base. And what's happened here is, you know, Ronnie and Jason are actually working somewhat collaboratively. You know, previously we, they were always at each other's throats, but here they know that they're in the situation together. They've got to work together. They don't. They're not, their ideologies still aren't in line. I mean. Ronnie is excited about battling the robot on an Air Force base, specifically because he thinks it's going to make him make Firestorm a big hero and even attract the attention of the JLA. I mean, that's kind of his reason for doing this. You know, Jason's more like, can we get this done? I need to get back to class because there's a parent-teacher conference we need to get to. And Ronnie is, you know, there's some fun interplay where they, they banter back and forth about Ronnie's more interested in sports, girls, and pizza and blowing up bad guys than he has school. Um... So they have, an, they, they have some exchange some blows with Data Zen, and then Ronnie and Jason quickly figure out that Data Zen is immune to their transmutation powers. So, uh-oh, here's trouble. You know, they, they can't change it. So they, um, I like how Ronnie is still refer, referring to powers as Jason's powers or his powers. That's also sort of acknowledging the old book, the old uh, run of the series, right. you know, by basically saying, no, no, your powers are transmutation. Mine are blowing up things. And Jason's trying to remind him, no, these are our powers now. So there's there's a good fight here with Data Zen. Um, there's some good logic that Ronnie and Jason put into play where they say, okay, if we can't affect Data Zen, let's affect his surroundings to create problems for him, which is kind of what I always think, uh, honestly, the Green Lantern should do when he comes up against Yellow. It's like, okay, just affect your surroundings. You can't affect the Yellow. <laughs> so perfect, perfect reaction by Jason and Ronnie. Um, they do one really cool transmutation thing that I'm, I just, I don't know, it just made my day. Um, Data then fires these missiles, and they, they're, they're zooming past, and they're going to rocket into this building, the Air Force thing. And it turns out they can still transmute the missiles, so they do, and Ronnie turns it into a bunch of soda cans. And that's perfect for a teenager, you know? And the cans sort of just like crunch, pull a Jim Belushi or John Belushi crunch as they hit the wall and flatten. And it's it's a nice art piece. It's a great conceptual piece. Um, I just that, I was like cheering because that's that's the kind of Firestorm stuff that I grew up on. That's the kind of Firestorm stuff you saw in the Jerry Conway and Pat Broderick stuff. You know, if somebody was falling out of a building, you know, Ronnie didn't just create a mattress. He'd always create like a giant rubber duck or something for them to land on. It was always funny and goofy. And that the, the tin cans is just a perfect example of that. Right. And it gives you some insight into the character via his powers. Exactly. Um, Data Zen, um, by the way, what they theorize, this is Jason theorized because he's the science guy. He theorizes that they're, Data Zen is made up of an, a malleable alloy that somehow adapts to beat their transmutation powers. Kind of, it's a theory, but, you know, it's probably going to hold water. Uh, but it's, it is kind of an idea why a robot's able to defeat him. We do, by the way, there, I, I should have mentioned a minute ago, uh, we get a one panel you know, of the Air Force staff you know, resp- reacting to this attack on the base. And a gentleman mentioned by name, General Eiling. Who, uh, for those of you who are familiar with your characters, that's a very well-known character from the Captain Adam book. 
Oh, okay. I didn't know uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. So, um, so Ronnie and Jason, um, Data, Data Zen disappears. He just, he's gone. Uh, Ronnie kind of puts that in the win column for him, um, which <laughs> I don't know that I would have agreed with because he's just gone. He's not defeated, but that's okay. Uh, and so they get to head off and, um, they're going to go back to school. Meanwhile, we cut away and we see Data Zen going to a top secret headquarters, which is underground in the desert, which is exactly where every high tech top secret headquarters should be. They're probably underground. Bumping, probably bumping into one another at this point. There's so many of them. Well, <laughs> this is our 15 square miles. You move your underground headquarters over here. Um, well, I mean, they, you know, bad guys like to go over. They, they probably share shopping malls, underground shopping malls for the employees. Because clearly there's, you know, hundreds of employees that work in this building. So, I mean, they have to have, you know, maybe a barbershop, a healthcare plan, you know, stuff like that. So, anyway. Um, the economy. Exactly. So, uh, we see the underground base uh, with all these science employees. And, and I'll say that, you know, I was going to say this for commentary, but we don't know who they are. But this looks really, really reminiscent to me of a pre-New 52 setup of called the 2000 Committee. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, not Rob. Okay. During one of my favorite runs of Firestorm, uh, issues 14 through 18 plus annual number one. Um, well, I, really, it goes beyond that. But Firestorm was always caught up battling the 2000 Committee. It was a, a group of... Uh, a high-tech sort of uh, star chamber group of people who had access to lots of bad guys and money and science and all this stuff. Anyway, one of the major players in that was a guy named Henry Hewitt. And um, he eventually went on to become a supervillain named Tokamak. And he was sort of a bedridden, uh, germa, not germaphobic, but uh, he had no immune system. He very weak, and he wanted uh, Firestorm-like powers to be able to go around and do stuff. And eventually he got those. And here you've got sort of still a super-secret science organization. You've got what appears to be this old frail man, you know, who's hiding and talking to them via television screen. So I don't know if Dan is going the direction of a Henry Hewitt kind of thing. I'm guessing probably not. This is probably an original character just because everything else in this issue is original characters. But um, that would be interesting if he does go the Henry Hewitt route. That would be kind of cool. So because he made a great villain. He was just a jerk. He was a total asshole. And um, he was responsible for the creation of Firehawk. Uh, again, he became Tokamak, and then uh, later on in the Jason Rush series of Firestorm, he came back again, and uh, just, he makes a great villain. So it would be fun if they reason. So anyway, this, this science think tank is clearly studying Firestorm. That is why they sent Data Zen out there, um, and, and they sort of kind of confirm that he's able to alter his composition. To So Jason's theory was right about how Data Zen uh, is able to foil their powers. Pretty cool stuff. So, Ronnie and Jason return to high school. There's a nice shot of them splitting, and uh, you get you know sort of a ghostly firestorm as Ronnie and Jason split off. Uh, you know, great classic sort of firestorm moment. Um, they immediately check their phones because that's what teenagers do, and they realize they're both in the doghouse because their parents are trying to find them. We get reintroduced to a character we haven't seen in a long time named Tanya. Who this is another nice nod to the previous run of the book. Tanya played a very important role in the first maybe four issues of the book, and then she sort of vanished. And here, you know, uh, Dan brings her right back, which is great, you know. Uh, and she's going to play, continue to play a very important role in the series. So she shows up. She knows the secret of Firestorm. She's like their only friend who does. In fact, you get some sort of, I don't want to say heavy-handed dialogue, but you get some descriptive dialogue that tells you that. 
you know, Jason and Ronnie are talking, and, and Jason actually goes, quiet, Tanya knows our, our secret, but no one else can. So, I mean, it's, it's informing the reader, so it's useful. So, um, Ronnie gets caught up with his football coach, who rides his butt for missing uh, class, and his European history teacher says he's not doing well. And if he doesn't get a B on the paper tomorrow, he doesn't get to play in the game on Saturday. So, or in the homecoming game, I should say, which is fantastic, because... You know, the, the other book, the previous run of the book, and I'm not knocking the previous run of the book, by the way. I'm just draw, trying to bring up the stark comparison because it it's night and day, completely different series. That, that series was about saving the world and the issue, the, you know, the really global level threats Ronnie and Jason had got caught up in. This book is about Ronnie and Jason as teenagers. And the fact that Ronnie's got to pull up his grades if he wants to do something that he cares about, which has nothing to do with Firestorm, but play in the game, that's a great sort of teenager challenge. It's something that's meaningful to him and he's going to care about and he's upset about. And I'm really glad to see that sort of element enter into the book. It's also very, feel echoes uh, sort of the old school Firestorm, which is even more fitting because the coach, I assume you caught his name? Uh, what, what was the coach's name? Coach Conway. Oh, really? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Firestorm was created by Jerry Conway and Al Milgram. Nicely done. So, yeah, ding! Uh, so the coach's name is Coach Conway, which is just, ah, uh, made me so happy. All right. Um, there's a moment here where Ronnie's in trouble because he's got this paper he's got to work on. Well, he's not going to be able to finish it in time. Tanya offers to help Ronnie, and suddenly Jason's feeling a little awkward because Tanya's kind of his girl. I don't know that they've established whether she's Jason's girlfriend or not. They sort of refer to her as his girl. Clearly, he's crushing on her big time. He was crazy about her uh, earlier in the series. I don't know if him and Tanya have gotten together yet or not. But you're sort of setting up a love triangle here where Tanya is more than happy to help Ronnie with his paper. And Jason's feeling a little left out and jealous. And that's the part I related to. That's the part you're related to? Oh, yeah. How many times in my life where there was somebody I had a crush on and then they were spending time with some doofus. I was like, what? Oh. I was like, what? what? As he says, what just happened here? <laughs> right. See, I was going to be like, so, yeah, Darlin Tracy's going to come over and help me with a project I'm working on. So, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, scene cuts to Star Labs uh, and we get introduced. There's a, there's a, there is a gruesome murder here. Um, with a pen, which is kind of funny. That's true, yeah. Um, so you get the gruesome murder with a pen, and you're introduced to three supervillains. Um, I'm sorry, Black Star, Relay, and Skull Crusher. <laughs> and I know what that. What's that? Yeah. I what he does. And I know who they are because in this one panel, all three of them talk to each other and say their names. Yeah. This panel sort of set off a lot of discussion on the internet. Like, people decided to really hone in on this single panel. Um, at least the haters. The haters did. Uh, really? There was, a, there was a fanboy obsessive discussion on the internet on something? It's- I know. It's crazy. Hmm. It's weird. It's like a new thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, this one panel generated a lot of negative talk. Uh, and, and what people said was they didn't like, you know, their issue was the old school dialogue. You know, because this is very much an 80s sort of panel. You know, you have your three villains. You know, you get a good look at their costume. They're all three just standing there, literally just standing there, having a conversation, and each one of them referring to each other by their character name. To Now, that's one side of it. Yes, it is very old school. Then you step out of it, 
and you go, okay, well, what's the purpose this panel serves? Well, you know what? I know who all three characters are now. I can clearly see what they look like. Uh, and, you know, it, there's no dragging it out. Dan Jurgens even was at, and responded to this in, in an interview where he basically said, so many times he reads a comic where they introduce a villain and they take half the comic to reveal the name. And it's not even like it's a big deal. It's just you, take, you wait that long to find out the character's name and sometimes you don't even get to. And, you know, who cares? It's just a name. So I, I am actually perfectly fine with this panel. Uh, it is sort of old school, but I like that. I mean, this whole comic is shooting for an old school feel. That's kind of the whole point of what's happening here with Ronnie and Jason, with Firestorm, to try and recapture what used to work with the series. So I'm perfectly fine with this panel. Um, I, you know, it's almost fun to some extent, other than the guys bleeding out on the table behind. Them. It wasn't fun for him. So Ronnie and cut. We cut back. Ronnie and Tanya are working on their on this term paper. Now, here's one thing that's a little weird. Tanya is sitting on Ronnie's bed. As a parent, I don't know that I would let some attractive young girl up into my teenage son's room and allow her to sit on his bed, <laughs> especially if I'm not home. You know, I'm not so sure that would go down real well. But and then Jason apparently is able to just get into the house and come all the way up to Ronnie's room too. So. <laughs> Because Jason barges in, he's kind of like, oh, hey guys, what you doing? Everybody got their clothes on? You know. <laughs> um, so Ronnie and Jason decide they need to go form Firestorm. They need to, you know, conveniently something's happened at the Star Quantum Physics Lab. They need to go, there might be hostages. They need to go check it out. Obviously, Jason has just made up a reason to come over here to make sure they still have their clothes on. Is really why he's there. Uh, I totally get that. You Can I say all the women in, in, in the Firestorm book need to go up a shirt size? No, no. <laughs> okay. I think they're appropriately dressed. So, um, so uh, you know, Ronnie and Jason, you know, Ronnie's like, oh, yeah, I do want to go be a superhero, but i got to finish my paper first. Um, I want to go to Tashi and pick up some power converters. Exactly. And Tanya straight up offers to write it for him. <laughs> so I don't know this is teaching good morals to teenagers. It's a fantasy. But it, but it creates more drama in a moment here because Jason and Ronnie start bitching at each other. And Jason's totally ticked off. And Ronnie's like, you're just mad because I'm hanging out with your girl, you know. And uh, they call him on that, actually. It's like, uh, where, where is it? I do like this bit. Yeah, Jason's like, how can you let Tanya write the paper for you? This isn't right. It totally sounds like you, Rob, as a teenager. And, um, you know, Ronnie's like, Look, it's either that or you ride your bike here and tackle this all by yourself, Rush. <laughs> I didn't ask you offered. And he goes on to say, um, look, Jiminy Cricket, I don't need you in my head making like my conscience. Besides, the real issue isn't the paper. It's me hanging with your girl, which I think is just great. Uh, we also get some great drama here in that um, Ronnie's mom and Jason's dad show up and are clearly been on a date. Yes. So, I mean, they, yeah. So, and I like how Tanya says OMG, and, and Dan spelled it out, oh, not yeah, the letter OMG. <laughs> I love that. So Ronnie gets into combat with these three new villains, uh, and he gets trunks, you know, gets a nice smack by Skull Crusher. Can I say in that panel, it looks like there's a sound effect that's missing? Yeah, okay. There's but just, Ronnie goes, whoa! So right, that w- but there's no sound. Of, there's usually a pow, you know, a pow of thumping. It, it's like, it's, it, just, it just sort of jumped out of me that there's no sound effect. I'm going to see now if there was any sound effects with data's in. Uh, let's see. Okay, data's in. Choom. That's well, a fire. a bunch of them, yeah. But as there, there's choom, crack, scrack. This is, this is a fun new segment for us. We're going to do sound effects. Woom. 
Skat! I like that when Ronnie gets blasted. Skat! That's nice. I just blew out some of these speakers. Um, Skuthtow! Douche! Fazash! These are fun. I'm having a good time. Zoop! I'm glad you Zipped. Uh, yeah, okay, everyone's probably bored at home. I'm enjoying it. You're right, yeah. Okay, there should be a, a crack. <laughs> it's either that or Skullcrusher is very, very quiet when he punches people. Well, they do make it pretty obvious that Skullcrusher is an interesting character and that he's very um, well-spoken. In that sort of, you know, your contrast, your bruisers used to be like, hey, duh, rah, rah, rah. And here, Skullcrusher is very purposefully demonstrated to be a well-spoken individual. So, kind of a neat little character trait. Always fun. I like the, I like um, the idea in that panel that, that, that because they're having their discussion, he gets the drop on them. Yeah, absolutely. Jason should be turning the frig around. Exactly. Should be doing. He, he, you should have 360 vision there, Jason. Um, I do dig that... Uh, you know, and I don't know if these villains are just throwaway villains or, you know, Dan plans on using them again, but you do kind of get a sense for them pretty quickly. You know, the, what's, I don't even, I don't remember their names now. Whoops. The guy who's all in black, what's his name? There's a panel I can look this up to tell me to. Uh, <laughs> um, no, Blackstar. Blackstar. Blackstar has the ability to negate Firestorm's powers. Um, right. And it's almost a little too convenient. Now, thankfully, they do acknowledge that in the story. Where Ronnie goes, when do we get fights? When do we get to fight someone we can affect? Which is nice. Um, then uh, the girl uh, shows up, whose name is Relay, and you get a fun moment where Jason is turned around. He is using sort of a 360 degree vision, which is sort of a, a power of Firestorms, is that the ghostly figure can look behind Firestorm anytime he wants, which is nice. But uh, you know, Jason's like, "Who's this?" Jason's uh, Ronnie's response: "I don't know, but she's hot." And opposed to what several, I'm not kidding, multiple people wrote, either me or posted somewhere, that they thought this comment was in there. Specifically, the writer put it in there as an acknowledgement to me. Uh, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe Dan and I have built up enough of a relationship that he's writing dialogue based on my commentary. <laughs> um, but it does go to show that I am definitely more of a Ronnie type of guy, and I think uh, you are more of a Jason kind of guy. <laughs> So, uh, Relay, uh, it appears she has telekinesis. She drops a giant machine on Firestorm, uh, totally collapses, crushes around them, and Ronnie, uh, Jason is like, Ronnie, ah, sort of worried about him. My speculation is one of Firestorm's powers is that he can turn intangible. So I think next issue we'll find out that Ronnie just turned intangible and the machine just fell in around him. But you get a nice shot at the end of this old man who's watching all of this happen. You know, the scientists are watching the three villains defeat Firestorm. With them sort of on the monitor is this creepy old man who I'm speculating might be Henry Hewitt. And then stepping back out, watching all of them. It's the monitor. Got, well, it's sort of a that kind of monitor sort of moment where somebody's watching somebody watching somebody else, you know. Um, and it's somebody who's just floating in space who's watching them. Um, now, I feel pretty confident in saying that that is most likely Captain Adam. Because we know Captain Adam is coming in, not next issue, I think, but the issue afterwards. So we know Captain Adam's coming in. Is he gone so, somewhere? Is he gone? Because he says, well, his, series, his, series, his series is over. Okay. And I haven't read it, but, you know, being that he's a Dr. Manhattan kind of character, him floating in space, creating, you know, monitors to watch things sort of makes sense. Okay. You know, it's very Cap uh, Dr. Manhattan. Did I say the wrong name a minute ago? You said, well, no, you said Captain Adam. 
you just said Dr. Right. Manhattan there. Yeah, I, I, I am meaning to say Dr. Manhattan. Okay. Captain Adam is sort of is a Dr. Manhattan type character yes, now. Absolutely. Um, so it just sort of makes sense that he's monitoring all this and, you know, he goes, which is why I must return. So, you know, you get this feeling that you know, whoever this is is coming back. So I, I think that's Captain Adam. Okay. But, um, that's totally speculation. So that concludes the issue. Um, you know, you've got a lot of drama. Wow, it's just a lot happens in this issue. They take a, a book that was primarily about Ronnie and Jason, and have really created a you know, really, I shouldn't say created, but have really brought the supporting cast up. I mean, Tanya, the mom, the dad, Coach Conway. I mean, they've they've done more for uh, supporting characters in this book than really had been done in the whole series. Again. I really want to make sure it, it, it sounds like I'm criticizing the old series. I don't mean to. Um, I think the old series was great. I think it stood for what it was. I think this book's an entirely different book. And I'm just completely jazzed because this feels like, and intentionally so, a return to classic Firestorm. You know, it feels like a return of Jerry Conway and Pat Broderick and Raphael Cannon's Firestorm and Al Milgram's. And that's, that's the Firestorm I'm, I'm, I want to see right now. So I'm excited as hell. Yeah, I think it was a good a good start to Jurgens' run. Absolutely, it, it it gave me what I thought it was an extent, and I really did like the artwork. I think uh, I'm not familiar with um, the inker with uh, Ray McCarthy, but uh, he's a nice combination with Jurgens. I really think that's a really dynamite look. So to me, Firestorm has been very lucky in the art department. They got two really nice artists in a row. Oh yeah, and well, in three really, you had Yildray Sinar, you had Ethan Van Skyver, and you get. You know, um, Dan Jerkins. So you've got really big names on the art, and it's really, he's been graced with some amazing artwork. So go to that first page. I'm going to say something, and I, th- I think it may click for you at this point, but let me know when you're there. Yes, I'm there. Okay. Look at um, the first panel of Ronnie's mom's. Look at her face. Yes. Go down to the third panel. Look mm-hmm. at Jason's dad's face. Mm-hmm. Now think about Neil Adams. Okay. Plate tectonics? What? What are we talking about? No, <laughs> that's who it sort of echoes. It's, it, it echoes sort of a Neil Adams kind of style, looking at their faces and their eyes and just some of the points and angles and the line weights. To me, it looks like, and I, don't, and I, mean, more, I mean more recent Neil Adams too. I don't mean like classic Neil Adams, but it looks sort of Neil Adams-esque to me. Okay. It, it, and that's, I think that's Ray McCarthy's inking that's doing it, but um, that's kind of the sense I got out of it. Okay. I was like, so, um, so I dug that. I, I thought that yeah, was. Cool. I, I think it's a really nice combination. It's yep. really, really solid. I, I really like Ray McCarthy's inking. It did a nice job. Uh, one of the a couple of things just to notice on Firestorm himself. Um, if you take a good look at the costume, it is it, it's the costume that we, we don't know for sure, but we believe Yildur Ray designed it. Um, it's it really does echo the classic Firestorm look. Um, some things to note: you don't get the puffy sleeves from Classic Firestorm, but you get some of the nice touches from the New 52 Firestorms. You get the flaming gauntlets, which are great, or the energy gauntlets, which is really a nice touch. You get the glowy, um, you know, pipe and drape or piping on the costume. Um, and I, I kind of like the fire on the hair. The fire on the hair, it's very contained. It's almost Bunsen burner-esque. And it, it, at first I was kind of like, hmm, but I really dig I'm really taken to it. And it's full of Kirby dots, which is always yeah, good. Kirby crackle, yeah. Yeah. Um, great stuff there. Now, one of the things Dan Jurgens and Ray McCarthy do, which is interesting, is they really play up Firestorm's dark eyes. 
the black around Firestorm's eyes. Some artists, you know, in, in the classic Firestorm, some artists really played it up. Some artists sort of minimized it. But here, I mean, the, the black around his eyes is really prevalent. And it makes for, a, you know, an, an interesting look. It's very striking. You can't help but notice it. And um, I think it's a nice touch. So... Yeah, I think it's he looks good. It's a nice combination of the, the, the versions of Firestorm that we know. Yep. Now, uh, I've said a lot of positive things. I am going to say, you know, like, just there is a lot of sort of cock-blocking Firestorm's powers in this guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is, you know, I, 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 you need that because Firestorm is immensely powerful. He really is, especially if he's on his game and is using his powers intelligently. He could pretty much defeat anybody. I saw a great drawing on uh, DeviantArt the other day, Firestorm versus Superman. And he just, Firestorm goes, zap, and turns um, Superman's costume to kryptonite. (laughs) Contest over. You know, it's like, (laughs) Firestorm could end a lot of stuff that way. You know, it's like, oh, bad guy. You know, blah, cement block around his face. Game. Uh, so when Firestorm's on his game, he can pretty much wrap things up. So having a guy, having two guys in this issue that can block his powers, you know, is necessary. I just, I hope it doesn't happen all the time, you know. So um, it was just, a, it was almost a little too neat. But you know, that's that's the only like kind of negative comment I've got. But it still works well for the story, so it's not even really a negative. And plus, um, they, plus I mean, Jurgen's cops to it with a joke. So yeah, exactly. It's you know, um, panel layout. You know, a lot of this comic is very traditional. You know, you get, as we said, the panel where the villains all reveal themselves. You get very traditional Ronnie and Jason, you know, teenage problems. You know, you get your sort of Spider-Man, Peter Parker type high school problems. Uh, You get, in this case, very traditional panel layout. Um, One of the things Firestorm's been, you know, one of the hallmarks of Yildare's work was really, really uh, fresh, new, creative panel layouts. You look at me like, wow, that's just amazing. There's nothing wrong with these panel layouts, but it is sort of traditional. And I imagine that may be on purpose, you know? I think it's exactly on purpose, yep. yeah. I think it is. I think Dan Jurgens intentionally went for because Dan could do some very creative panel layouts as well. I think uh, he's gone for a very traditional sort of panel layout to make it feel like a traditional comic. And I think that is very clever. I think he actively did that. So, um, you know, it kind of adds to the book. Um, I'm just heaping praise on this thing. Uh, so I, I'm... Don't you know? It's sorry. <laughs> I do want to know who. I guess the girl. Oh, I see now. Okay, in the Star Lab scene where the poor man, the poor guard, is killed with a pen. Um, that had to be relay because I now see where the pen just sort of floats up in the yeah, air right, yeah. and goes through his head. Um, <laughs> I, I'm wondering about that scene. I wonder if because I mentioned you know Dan picked up stuff from earlier in the run he picked up you know Walton Mills he picked up the Vikings he picked up Tanya all that I wonder if he picked up you know, a graphic gory death from the previous issue you know, felt like he should continue that as well because it is it's pretty vicious I mean it's a full on page of murdering this dude the pen goes right through his brain you know through his ear in his ear and through his brain and blood just pours everywhere it's pretty graphic so the big people I mean, the big people are not thrilled with this product placement <laughs> that's right. Um, you know, yeah, there are no big ads in this comic. That's something. Now, um, you know, sort of in conclusion, it's a great issue. It's a great start of a new run of Firestorm. It is definitely a return to the classic Firestorm that we know. It feels like classic Firestorm. It looks like classic Firestorm. It smells like classic Firestorm. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so it must be classic Firestorm. Um, 
it's a great new start, folks. If you are an aqua, if you're an aquanaut and you're not reading Firestorm, this is your book to pick up, please. Uh, that's your homework assignment. Go buy Firestorm number thirteen, um, for get it digitally, you know, whatever. Uh, check it out. It's it's a great comic. Um, I can't say enough good things about it. I was so excited when I got done reading this, and I'm just over the moon, and can't wait to see where it's going. We're two for two for today. I tell you, two good comics. Yes. All right. Very different, but both good. Uh, okay. I guess we're going to uh, wrap it up for this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. Uh, yeah. One thing I do want to mention before we do our traditional traditional plugs is by the time all you guys hear this, it will be Monday, uh, November, what is it, 5th, I think? Yes. Um, we are on, on, on that same day, uh, traditionally midnight when the Shrine posts a puts up the new post. We are running a um, fundraiser for the Hurricane Sandy Relief through the Red Cross. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking donations through the Aquaman Shrine's PayPal account, and then we're going to total that all up, and it's going to run for one week. I'm going to total all that up and donate that to the Red Cross. But we're going to do it as a raffle to help inspire some generous donations. Uh, The Aqua Team, the outgoing Aqua Team, the boys have very generously donated some original Aquaman art. And the way it works is for every dollar that you donate to the Red Cross Hurricane Sandy Relief Fund, that gives you a chance to win one of the pieces of artwork. So for every dollar you donate, you get another chance. If you donate $10, you get 10 chances. You donate 50, you get 50 chances. Um, Ivan Reese is, I don't have the pieces yet. They, the guy, the boys are are rummaging through their work to send stuff to me. Um, but Ivan Reese is going to be submitting a piece. Joe Prado is going to be submitting a piece. And then we're going to be um, also putting up that um, triptych that the, that the boys did of, of the Aquaman cover, Aquaman number one cover, which is you know, a third of it is in black and white uh, in pencil form. A third of it is in black and white in inks. And then the third of it is in color, um, except um, it's going to be printed on canvas. They only did two of these, like printed on like this, really nice canvas-type texture thing. And um, one of the members of Foam, Ivan DaCosta, um, is donating that. So we're going to have some really cool Aquaman art that you could win uh, by donating to the Red Cross. So please um, come to the Shrine on on Monday to take a look at that, and please consider donating. And, and if you can't donate, please spread the word. Like, please, like We want to get as many people to know about this effort as possible so we can raise as much money as possible because... Um, you know, Hurricane Sandy hit my home state. Uh, it didn't. It didn't hit uh, me specifically or Shrine Central. Luckily, we just got basically a bunch of rain and some wind. We didn't even lose power, but um, it has really devastated uh, the coast and uh, of New Jersey and uh, big chunks of New York. So um, every little bit helps. So please come by to the Shrine on Monday and and, uh, and spread the word about the the fundraiser. Rob, just so people understand how this works, because I'm. Um, it- we're donating to Red Cross. Right. Is there is there a click through on your site to there's do it? Be, or something? There's going to be a a button to the Aquaman Shrine's PayPal account, and you're going to donate the money there. And then oh, and then you will forward it to yes, the Red Cross because we're going okay. to total it all up. That way, we can get a total. Because gotcha. every you know, I mean, if everybody's just donating randomly to the Red Cross, there's no way to figure out how much money we've raised. Exactly. So, that's what that's what I was yeah, wondering. Okay. I'm sorry if I was unclear about that. Yeah, you're going to donate to the Aquaman Shrine's PayPal account. There will be a PayPal. There will be a donate button. On the post, you just donate whatever amount you want. You can do it any denomination, 10, 20, 27, 19, whatever you want to do. And then it's going to conclude the following Monday, which is the 12th, and I will then announce, hey, we've raised this much money. 
this is what's going to the Red Cross for the relief effort, and here are the three winners of the Aquaman art. And just to be, just so we're clear, so no one, I mean, 100% of what's raised is going to the Red Cross, correct? 100%. And in fact, okay. the shrine is going to round up to the nearest 50. So if we, ah. so if we end up raising, let's just say, $227, we're going to bump it up to $250. So the shrine is going to kick in whatever we have to to get up to the next 50. Perfect. Absolutely a worthwhile cause, folks. Um, please take the time to donate. Donate big, donate often. Um, it, it, you know, as a guy who lives in Florida, who sees what hurricanes can do every year, um, quite frankly, you know, if you want to do it to, for the chance to win the artwork, that's great. But do it because it's the right thing to do, folks. I mean, there's a lot of people in a lot of trouble right now who need, need your help. So yeah. do what I you mean, can to help. Yeah, I mean, I don't really care why you do it as long as you do it. So and, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and, and again, uh, on top of that, just spread the word. Like, that really helps. It's just to, we can tweet about it. We can, you know, share it on Facebook and Google+. I'm even willing to use Google+, on this. Um, oh, jeez. So, <laughs> so, it um, takes a catastrophe to get Rob on Google+. But okay. we really, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been uh, – one of the things I was amazed at, like, when I went to the New York Comic Con, which I don't mean to keep bringing up, but we didn't cover it the last time, is, like, a lot of people have heard of the Shrine, way more people than I thought. Uh, it, it precedes me in a lot of ways, which is which is really great. So um, I know there's a bigger audience out there, and I know that we have a lot of people that read the Shrine, a lot of people that listen to Fire and Water. So I think that we really could raise a really nice block of money for this. And just personally, I would appreciate it because, like I said, it is my home state. I didn't spend a lot of time at the Jersey Shore growing up, and I, I didn't as an adult, but it's still my home state. And, uh, I, and, and you know, I love New York, too, and so it, it – it pains me to see what people are going through. So even if we can raise just a little bit of money. And, you know, of all the superheroes in the DC Universe who would be best equipped to deal with a hurricane, it's Aquaman. <laughs> this, you know, this is the guy you'd want around in, in a storm like this. So, um, like I said, go to the shrine and, hey, and donate. Firestorm, Firestorm used to fight Typhoon. Thank you very much. So anyway, you can find Aquaman. <laughs> uh, you can find Aquaman Shrine at AquamanShrine.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, of course, and where we can find Firestorm Fan. Uh, uh, well, FirestormFan.com. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, and Tumblr, all at the same Firestorm Fan name. Um, by the way, folks, we're gonna. If, you know, if for whatever reason you're just not near your computer, we are gonna put uh, the link to the Red Cross posting by Aquaman Shrine in the show notes. So you'll have that as well. Right. Great. Um, so, yeah, so, so the next episode is going to be a bunch of random topics. We're going to catch up on our listener feedback. We're going to talk about the New York Comic Con a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about some other things that are not Aquaman and Firestorm related that are sort of on our minds. Um, so that will be sort of like our – a little bit like our comic talk show, which was just sort of random topics, which everybody seemed to like. So we're going to kind of try to do that again. It'll be geek talk. Geek talk. Every episode is geek talk, of course. But. <laughs> All right, folks, this is going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, be sure to fan the flame and ride the wave. Aviva uh, el fuego y monta la ola. Goodbye. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble... They'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Fire's
friends forever. Yeah. Scuthow. Douche. Fazash. These are fun. I'm having a good time.